have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Joshua chapter 9. That's where we will be this morning. Uh, every once in a while, you will come upon a narrative of Scripture where you might ask yourself, what in the world did I learn there? Uh, I think Joshua 9 might fit that category uh, for some of the narratives of Scripture. And so my hope is this is a, a helpful and edifying, encouraging, even exhorting uh, sermon for you so that you can begin to see uh, really how the narratives of Scripture form the very lives that we live, whether it be uh, through a rebuke or whether it be through just an exhortation to, to carry on, to move on in the faith. But last week, if you'll remember, we saw... Israel rebound from the sin of Achan, where in obedience to God, they destroyed the city of Ai. And really, once your sin is dealt with, the key that God wants you to remember in life is that you need to move forward. If you've been forgiven, there's nothing holding you back from moving forward where the promises of God are concerned. You move forward in faith. You move forward in obedience because God will always deliver on every one of his promises. And it takes a real change of mind to believe that and to form your very life around that. We saw last week that faith and sin begin in the mind. And so for Israel to advance against Ai, <clears throat> excuse me, it took a mindset of trusting that God would deliver them victory in their pursuit. And so the promises of God still require the effort of faithful people. God does not only determine the ends, but he also determines the means by which those ends come. And we saw through Achan that sin can cost you in regards to the promises of God. But now as we move forward into Joshua 9, it's going to present to us a reality that God also plans for our righteous actions and strategies to be used by him to deliver on every one of those promises. One of the biggest keys that you need to learn in life is that God uses wisdom, he uses strategy, and he uses vigilance by his people to actually deliver on his promises. Therefore, because of that, it is not a Christian posture to simply sit and wait for God's will to be delivered into our lives. We must be people of action. We must think through the decisions that we make. We must think through our actions before they are produced in our lives in order to ensure that they line up with what God has revealed and what God wants to deliver into our lives. So Joshua chapter 9 serves to me as a great example of how pe the people of God can be lulled into a place of simply doing whatever seems easiest at the moment rather than remaining vigilant and seeking God's input in the decisions that we make in our lives. And so I want to begin reading the first few verses of Joshua 9. It says that as soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon... The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Je what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. 
And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. Number one this morning, I want you to understand that God's promise of victory requires strategy. God's promise of victory requires strategy. There is a way that you can go about following Jesus where you get far too comfortable with what God has promised. You get far too comfortable with the blessings that God gives into your life. You can get far too comfortable with what you experience, whereas material blessings in your life are concerned. But when you deal with the issue of building dynamic faith and following Jesus, it's important to remind ourselves that when God promised Joshua that no one would be able to stand against Israel in Joshua chapter 1, it was predicated on the reality that people would try to stand against Israel throughout the entire conquest. And such is the case that we see in the first few verses of Joshua chapter 9. There's now a coalition of kings that are going to come together to try to stand against Israel. They've seen Ai fall. They've seen Jericho fall. And so now all of the kings of the region are coming together. They've made a treaty with one another, and they are going to collectively act as one in order to stand against the advance that Israel is making on the promised land. And so when you're seeking to obey God, you need to understand that word often spreads. A word of success spreads, words of the blessing of God spreads, and there are going to be people that are going to seek to stymie your advance on the promises of God. They're going to seek to discourage you. Whether it is that you're seeking to live an evangelistic lifestyle, whether it is that you're seeking to make disciples, whether it is that you're trying to influence the culture around you for righteousness, whether you're trying to raise a family in the way that God intended for you to raise a family, whether it is that you're trying to repent of sin, understand that you must realize that you're going to face opposition in every one of those things. No matter how many times you remind yourself, you're rarely going to be ready for the opposition that you're going to face. You're rarely going to be ready for the people that are going to try to discourage you, the people that are going to vilify you, the people that are going to mock you, the people that are going to say all types of terrible things against you, the nations in this category of Israel that might rise against you to seek to stop the conquest of God, but also understand that you need to be prepared in all times that the enemy, Satan, is always going to stand against the advancement of the kingdom of God, not just for Israel, but in your life as well. The modern world, let's be honest, can lull you into a sense of comfort. I think the problem that many people have is that you may believe that since you aren't encountering resistance, everything's going great. Everything's easy. There's no difficulty in my life. There's no one standing against me in my life. I'm not encountering a single bit of resistance in my life. And you may be tempted to, when you're laying in bed at night, say, oh, thank you, Lord, because you've blessed me with a lifestyle by which I face zero resistance. But what you don't understand is that God's not blessing you with it. You're just not going anywhere. That resist, excuse me, that lack of resistance may actually be a judgment of God in your life. A lack of resistance in your life typically means you're not growing you're not getting anywhere. There's no forward movement. You're stagnant. The opposite of the blessing of God may be true in your life because you will not encounter any resistance if you're standing still. If you're not moving anywhere, you should expect there to be no resistance. But here's the deal. If you're not moving anywhere, you should expect to never advance on anything. Never grow in your life. And you become stagnant. 
And in my experience, stagnant people never take personal responsibility for their own stagnancy. You say, man, well, you know, maybe a leader needs to do something more in my life because I'm stagnant and I'm stagnant because of everyone else's lack of involvement in my life. Friends, that's not the reality. The reason that you may feel that you're not being led is because you're not going anywhere and they're advancing without you. They're moving forward without you. You might say, and I've heard this many times, I've been criticized for this many times, you're like, I just feel so disconnected from leadership. I can tell you why you're disconnected, because we're miles ahead of you. And we're not waiting for you. I can tell you where the kingdom of heaven is concerned. I'm not going to wait for any of you to catch up. I'm moving with God. So long as God is moving forward, that's where I want to be. That's where I'm going to bring all the leaders of the church, and we're going to move with God. So if you decide to stay stagnant, miles behind where the movement of God is, understand one thing for certain. My response is, that's not my problem. I'm not waiting. I'm going where God's going. And so the answer for you is not to criticize those that are ahead of you. The answer for you is to get your feet out of the mud and move with God. Play some catch up. It's amazing how quickly the grace of God allows you to catch up when you're stagnant. God will move you a mile in a minute if you'll simply look to him and say, Father, forgive me for my stagnancy. Forgive me for lacking the faith that I needed to move forward with you. The resistance, though, won't always be physical. It's amazing to me that most of the resistance that I've faced in my life has not been physical in nature. It's been spiritual in nature. Look at what the Ephesians chapter 6 says. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, what's fascinating about this is, it's very similar to what Joshua was told in Joshua 1, and then again last week in Joshua chapter 8, be strong and courageous. The Apostle Paul says the same thing. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, not your might, not what you can accomplish, not what you are capable of. This isn't about reaching your potential. This is about the strength of the Lord. He says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The spiritual battle is not merely physical. There's an undergirding spiritual world that is at play in the resistance as well as the temptation that we're going to face every single day. Understand, there are cosmic and dark powers that will stand against you. Therefore, to be lulled into a false sense of comfort, friends, that is a tool of the enemy to keep you from preparing for the reality of battle that you will encounter when you follow Jesus Christ. Some of the greatest spiritual warfare that I've seen is the type of warfare that keeps you fat and happy, standing still. Enjoying all of the gifts that God has given you, not realizing that Romans chapter 1 warns us that the very gifts, the very blessings of this life that God gives us can very quickly become our objects of worship. And we worship the gifts rather than the gift giver. Friend, remain vigilant and strategic in your life. The command for Joshua and Israel to be strong and courageous was not a one-time command, nor was it a one-time decision. It was a call to always be ready. 
They needed to be vigilant. They needed to be strategic in every decision that they made as they obeyed God in the mission of conquest that he had called them into. So many people want to live for God, but you don't want to think about living for God. You want it to be something that's thoughtless. You want it to be something that you don't have to think through. You want it to be a paint-by-numbers life, but that is not the reality of the world that is cursed by sin all around us. You must understand that everything requires thought. You want to have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't want to think through how that is going to impact your daily life. Friends, living for God requires that you pay attention It requires that you think through your decisions. It requires you to think through your actions. It requires you to think through your reactions. And it also requires you to be strategic in thinking through how all of the decisions that you are going to make in your life, how they're going to impact your relationship with God, how they're going to impact those around you. How they are going to impact your growth where the gospel is concerned. And ultimately, how the decisions in your life are going to impact the kingdom of heaven in this world. I know that so many of you think in life, you're like, oh, I'm nobody. My decisions don't matter. My decisions don't impact anybody else. I mean, my decisions can't possibly impact the kingdom of God, to which I would say you downplay the role that God has called you to play where the gospel is concerned. You downplay the role and the impact that you could have in the lives of people around you. You downplay the impact of what God has called you into where obedience is concerned. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is no decision in your life that doesn't impact the kingdom of God. Because that is what God has called us to grow in this world. Look at what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16. He commanded that his followers, and I love this, He says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's the only positive thing that the Bible says about snakes. All right. But we need to pay attention to it. Why? Because he says right there, he says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That doesn't sound comfortable, does it? No, it sounds dangerous. Sounds risky. I don't know if you know this, but sheep don't put up much of a fight against wolves. They're not prepared for battle. They're not armor ready. And so you need to understand that what he's telling you there is you need to think through your life. You need to think through what you're doing. You need to think through how you're going to do it. You need to think through the impact that it's going to have. He says, yes, you need to be innocent as doves. And we are familiar with that if we spend any time in church. Like, oh, we need to be righteous. We need to repent of sin. We need to seek purity in our lives. We need to seek holiness in our lives. And Jesus says, yes, absolutely. Innocent as doves, God hates sin. So he doesn't want it in the lives of his followers. So you need to seek a life by which you are becoming holier over time. But he says, don't miss this. And this is the part that most of you miss. As wise as serpents. Because you can't imagine how the two of those work together. I'll tell you how they work together. And we're about to see it in the text. He's telling Israel, you need to be cunning in your strategy, just like he's telling us. You need to be cunning in the strategy that you use in your life. This is what happens starting in verse 7. 
So the Gibeonites have come up with a plan, haven't they? Bunch of liars. It's kind of like that guy on the corner with the sign that half of you fall for. He's going to be out in front of Walmart on Midlothian today if you go out that way. I tell you, he's going to have all these rags on. My son took me out to lunch for my birthday. He's a, he's a very, very giving. I know it was for Father's Day. They all run together at this point in my age. But for Father's Day, he took me out for lunch, and he took me to my, favorite, my second favorite restaurant. Because I'm so classy. My second favorite restaurant is Taco Bell. All right. <laughs> McDonald's is always going to be number one in my heart. It's the only restaurant I've been to that has tasted the same for 40 years. <laughs> I'm, what, I tell you, what a blessing of God. They figured it out. They got in the lab, created fake meat, and I tell you, it tastes just like a real cow. I love it, love it. I mean, every, if I could have McDonald's every day, I'd die happy. I would die quick, but I'd die happy. All right? But so my son knows my love language. He took me to Taco Bell. We're sitting in Taco Bell, and of course, there's, there's, a, there's a gentleman with, you know, he's got ratty clothes on. He's got holes in his T-shirt, jeans all ripped up, you know, shoes look like he wore them back in World War I. All right, I mean, he's just rough looking. And I kid you not, we watched this man. We're sitting there eating the, just the manna from heaven, all right? And this man walks up, gets into a car much newer than mine, and drives away. That's the Gibeonite deception. The Gibeonite said, we need to look like we are road-worn. We need to look like we've been traveling a long way. So rip your clothes up a little bit. Don't grab the new wineskins. Grab the old wineskins. We need to wear shoes that are from two seasons ago that are covered with playground mud. We need to look like we are homeless travelers. And they go to Joshua and they say, we are from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Friends, you need to understand, number two this morning, you need to trust God more than you trust your wisdom. Look in verse 7. In verse 7 and following, it says, But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, because that's the region that Gibeon was in, Perhaps you live among us. Then, how can we make a covenant with you? In other words, they question it. They say, oh, Are you telling the truth here? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in the Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses. I mean, they laid it on thick as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, they have burst and these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Underline that. But did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregations swore to them. I don't know if you figured this out because I've seen so many people that haven't figured it out. You're going to be lied to in life. You're going to be deceived in this life. 
If you sit there and you're like, well, no one's ever lied to me. Oh, honey. <laughs> oh, buddy. Somebody's lying to you right now is the greatest chance. You're naive. You're gullible. People are deceptive. The default mode of the corruption of sin in human existence forces some people into a place where they believe that deception is better than honesty, that lies are more powerful than truth, that to get the things that they want in this life, that they must deceive those people around them. And that is exactly the tool of the enemy that the Gibeonites fell for. And that is exactly what happened to Israel in this instance. Friends, I will tell you, the clearest discernment in life is always going to be God's Word. You always make decisions according to God's Word, and you will always be in truth. But here's the other key. You will always be more perceptive with your mind saturated in God's Word than without your mind saturated in God's Word. Do you want to live a life where you're going to be duped by a lot of false teaching? Don't saturate your mind with the Bible and you won't know truth from error. But the reality is, is that what Gibeon was actually taking advantage of. Now, the Bible is silent on this, but the Gibeonites seem to have formed a strategy. The text has already told us they were cunning people. They've taken a strategy where they're actually deceiving Israel to use the law of God against Israel. What do I mean by that? Well, Moses told them in Deuteronomy 20, verse 10. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. Now, there's a qualification to that. And a lot of people, this is the problem that a lot of people have with Bible study. You treat verses as though they are islands to themselves. All right? Well, you got to read the context of what's going on all around it. Because that text is qualified starting down in verse 15. In Deuteronomy 20, starting in verse 15, it says, Thus you shall do to all the cities that are what? Very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here, but in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. So this offer of a peace treaty was not to be made to anyone in the promised land. It was only to be made in people that they came into contact with outside of the promised land to be a peaceful nation. And so what the Gibeonites did was is they made it look like, oh, we're from really, really far away. I don't know if the law of God had made it to Gibeon at that time, but basically what they're saying is, don't you have to make a peace treaty with us since we are from a distant country? The only option, though, for the Gibeonites where Israel was concerned was total annihilation. The Gibeonites did not qualify for what was going on in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 10. The narrative does not reveal if they knew this, but that's the strategy that they had. But of important notice, though, is what I told you to underline. How Israel went about making the decision that they were going to offer a peace treaty to the people of Gibeon. Verse 14 states clearly, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Now, why is that so important? Why is that so vital? Because you might be saying to yourself, well, I make a thousand decisions a day that I don't seek the counsel of the Lord for. And that's why you're in the mess you're in. 
That's why your life is as chaotic as it is. That's why you're so overwhelmed with anxiety the way that you are. Numbers chapter 27 verse 21 states that a special revelation was available to Israel in circumstances like this. Look at what it says. It says, He shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. Joshua had available the special revelation of the Lord to see whether or not the Gibeonites were telling the truth. Now, I'll be honest, you don't have the Urim available to you any longer, friends. But God did make it available to them. And so what did they do that was so wrong here? They became prideful. And when you make decisions without going to the revelation of God that is available to you, every one of those decisions is made outside of faith. That's why the book of Romans is so clear in Romans 14, I think, where it says, anything that you do that is not by faith is a sin unto you. Because when you cease to understand that everything comes out of a life of faith for the follower of Jesus Christ, then you are getting into a lifestyle where you are making decisions out of pride because you think you are smart enough, you think you are wise enough, you think you've got this, you think you've moved past the need to consult the Lord, you think that you are so wise that God is just going to bless every decision that you make. Friend, don't do it. The clearest discernment in life is always available from the sources that God provides. Never trust yourself more than you trust God. Every moment of sin in your life, do you realize that it's you saying, I trust myself more than I trust God? Every time you just follow whatever feeling comes natural to you, when God has clearly said, don't do that. It's you saying, I trust myself more than I trust God. This is another reason why we implore you here over and over to saturate your mind with the Word of God. The reason for that is because He has made it available to us so that we can have the discernment from the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think so many of us, we miss the way that the work of the Spirit actually works in our lives, and we treat it as though it's some kind of magical power that God gives us. Or without the Word of God, we just say, Holy Spirit, what do I do? And He's going to give us an indicator light as to which way we should go. It's not the way that it works at all. If you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you need this. In both John 14 and in John 16, Jesus Christ himself said, he says, I've got to go because if I go, someone better than I is going to come. That's the Holy Spirit. But he says, once the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring to remembrance everything that I have taught you. What has Jesus taught? He's taught his word. How will the Holy Spirit remind you of anything if you're not saturating your life with the word of God? You were not meant, understand this, you were not meant by God to solely trust your gut instinct. Some of you have great gut instincts, but the enemy is going to use that against you at some point if you're not saturating your gut instinct with the Word of God. 
That's the way spiritual warfare works, friends. Too many people claim that they have discernment from God, but it is nothing more than a prideful venture in claiming that the thoughts that you have in your own prideful mind are the very words of God. It always amazes me when people tell me that they have a word from God, how much God sounds like you. But you need to be careful of that. I'm not saying God doesn't give some people more sense than he gives other people. I mean, go on the Internet, just type in Darwin Awards. God does give some people, obviously, more sense than he gives other people. You can see that on Fail Army on YouTube. <laughs> some people just don't have any sense. But... That type of common sense is insufficient in living a life of faith for God. That's why when anyone tells you that they have a word from the Lord, and boy, they tell me that a lot, you know what your response needs to be? Okay, what Bible verse is that? Because if God gives you a word, I want you to understand, that word is going to match the Scriptures. God isn't giving new revelation. We're not tacking anything on to the book of Revelation. All right? It's sealed. It's done. When God gives his people a move, when the Holy Spirit gives you a prompting, understand that it will always match the word of God. And so when you don't saturate your mind with the word of God, how are you going to know that that prompting is from the Holy Spirit? And how are you going to know if that prompting is from the enemy seeking influence and a foothold in your life? You won't. You won't. You need to be careful that it is actually the voice of the Spirit. And in this culture, be very careful that you are not listening to the influence of the demonic. God speaks through His Word. It isn't an arbitrary adventure in guessing whether it's the Spirit or whether you just ate some bad guacamole last night, friends. God wants us to be people of the word because that is the avenue through which he gives us discernment. Proverbs chapter 3 is one of the most quoted uh, sections of scripture, but it is rarely applied. I've seen people make an absolute mess of their lives and they say, my life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I say, please don't do that to God. It's obviously not. The text says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. But add on verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Verse 7 puts verses 5 and 6, I think, in a much better perspective. This is about submitting your life to the leadership of God in your life. Friends, seek God by prayerfully saturating your mind with Scripture. That is how the Spirit reveals Himself to us. That is where His promptings are. Too many times you ask God to speak and then you just sit there. The Spirit is saying, open the book. Be not wise in your own eyes. God will lead you down paths of righteousness, but you must not put your voice in God's mouth. He has spoken, therefore go to his word. If Israel had taken the time to go before the presence of God, they would have made a wiser decision. 
they would have avoided the deception of Gibeon. But friend, when you won't humble yourself to receive direction from God, you will go down roads that God does not intend you to go. And you may even go down that road saying, the Lord's leading me here. Because you believe a lie. It's the enemy that is leading you down the road that is away from God's direction. There's always going to be a price to pay when you put your ego in front of submission to God. Humble yourselves, friend. Don't trust your own mind. But number three this morning, understand, grace should never be an excuse, but always a comfort. Grace should never be an excuse, but always a comfort. God's grace is greater than our foolishness. And I praise Him for that every single day. Look down in verse 16. At the end of three days... After they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. It's one of the most fascinating things about life. Your lies will come out. Your lies will come out. I don't know how their lies came out, but it says that after three days. And so Israel's advancing on Canaan. They're walking in the promised land. They're probably getting a little bit closer to Gibeon. And one of those foreigners from a distant country might have said, Hey, guys, you want to come over to my house for dinner? Wait a second. They may have said, Oh, I, re I recognize this. You know, you need to turn left. Don't turn right. How do you know where to go? I don't know how the deception came out. But friends, it came out. And now Israel looks foolish. Do you want to know why people sometimes look foolish? It's a pretty simple math equation. The foolish tend to look foolish. All right? They look foolish because they were foolish. Israel's not the hero of this story. Gibeon's not the hero of this story. Keep reading. The text says, verse 17, And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chepirah, Beroth, Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, We've sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This... <clears throat> Excuse me. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest the wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became cutters of wood, drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders said, said to them. Joshua summoned them and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood, drawers of water for the house of my God. As I said, lies never last. I know someone thinks in this room that you're the exception to the rule. Your life is full of lies. You deceive people all the time and you're like, it's working out for me. But understand that's always temporary. Eventually your lies will become like rotten milk, just sour to the taste. Friends, lies are always uncovered. And even if you are able to deceive people, you are not deceiving God. You will stand in judgment for your lies. And such is the case with Gibeonites, the Gibeonite deception. Once they got close, the lies came out. And because of integrity, 
Israel had sworn by God. That's why you should be very careful the commitments that you make in life. Never give a commitment to anything easily because some of you make yourselves a liar because you don't want to tell somebody you're not going to do something. Don't commit. I rarely commit to anything. Keeps me honest. And you need to be careful of what you commit to, who you commit to. Only commit to something that you are going to honor. But once you've committed, honor your commitments. And Israel, in their integrity, they honor the commitment. They're not going to attack the Gibeonites as they should have because they were deceived. But understand, God's judgment on the Gibeonites was clear. They got the land. Israel did. The Gibeonites lost everything. Entire people cursed to slavery by God forever because of the lie that they gave to Israel. This is another narrative that reveals God to be the hero of the story. Israel's not the hero. The Gibeonites are not the hero. God is the hero. Israel still gets the land because God is gracious to Israel. They sinned against God, excuse me, by not seeking his presence in the decision making process. Yet God was gracious that they continued on conquest with the Gibeonites as servants. Friends, many times I've considered the foolish decisions and the mistakes and the actions that I have made. Yet God has forgiven me. Yet God continues to bless me. Yet God continues to use me because of God's grace towards me in the gospel. And I praise God for his grace towards me every single day. He continues to be gracious through all of my failures and mistakes. And I'll tell you, that's a comfort. That's why I say God's grace must be a comfort to you. If God's grace is not a comfort to you, then friends, you don't have faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't realize what you deserve versus what God has given in his grace, you're not thinking through what forgiveness really is all about. You're not thinking through the hell that you deserve and the heaven that God has promised. You're not thinking through the turmoil that sin should give you in your life and the anxiety relieving reality of what a reconciled relationship with God is all about. God is gracious to his people and it should be a soft pillow for you to sleep on at night. That you are a forgiven and you are a freed person that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And you don't deserve his promptings and his leadings in life. But he gives it anyway. But the comfort of God's grace must never become an excuse to sin and fail in life. And that is what it becomes for many people. You need to look at the scriptures to see what grace is meant to give you and to turn you to in your life. What should the grace of God in this specific instance to Israel, what should it have turned them to do? Well, we're never going to do that again. That's what it should have done. It should have said, we made a decision without God and now we are stuck with all of these people. Next time, we need to seek the counsel of God before we make a bad decision like that. 
But friends, so you need to do in your life. There are times, though, that we are tempted to use God's grace in our temptation to sin. There are times when we will look at the temptation to sin and say, well, God is gracious, so it doesn't matter what I do. I can sin against God and he's just going to forgive me again. I can do the wrong thing. I can be a bad steward of all the resources that God has given me. I can make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Blessing of God. That's the way grace works, right? No, that is not. That is sinning on top of sin. And you have given yourself then a sinful comfort on top of all of it. You don't want to do that. Romans 6 warns us that in the renewed mind in Christ, we must not use God's grace as an excuse to sin. Here's what it says. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We have a new life. We repent rather than continue in sinful states. God's grace for Israel was to push them on in conquest, and it is the same for you. Your conquest is not over the promised land. It's not a physical realm right now. Your conquest is over sin and for the world around you to come to faith in Christ. But when you accept sin, friends, you curse yourself to never being a part of the kingdom of heaven. Friend, like we pointed out last week, a continual pattern of sin in your life reveals that you are no follower of Jesus at all. Grace must propel you to a life of obedience. It must not pacify you into a life of sin. Therefore, friends, let the grace of God propel you into a life of following Christ. Because that's what it's meant to do. A few application points this morning. Be on alert for the deception of the enemy. Be on alert for it. Look out for it. Be weary of it. Friends, it happens more than you think it's going to happen in your life. It's not just people trying to deceive you. It's Satan seeking to deceive you. Secondly, constantly strategize with the wisdom God provides. This is a vital element of your discipleship that many of you are not thinking through. You think you're just going to naturally, by some type of osmosis, grow in your discipleship. Now, you have to choose to grow. You have to choose to enter into environments of growth. You have to choose to repent of sin. You have to think through and strategize. Where can I put myself in life that's going to give me greater growth than other areas will? And then you need to pursue those areas. Number three, beware of trusting your own thoughts over God. How can you tell the difference between indigestion and the power of the Spirit? The Scriptures, the Word of God. It's amazing how clear-minded you can be when you saturate yourself with the Bible. And then fourthly, weaponize God's grace to live His mission faithfully. Weaponize God's grace. Understand that it is meant to lead you somewhere. It is meant to spark a new life in you. It is meant to transform you. Therefore, let God's goodness and His grace urge you on to the potential that God has put into you to live his mission in this world.